Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. You're ready for a Bible lesson. You're ready for a Bible lesson. We said Sunday that we would begin teaching in series form. We said that we'd be teaching, picking up where we left off, especially on Sundays and Wednesdays and uh, morning service on Sunday and then Wednesday evening. And then Sunday evening we're teaching on uh, healing, divine healing. So as, as of right now, at least for the remainder probably of this month, we'll be teaching on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings in series form. So it's important that if you miss any of the services, you need to get the tape to find out where we're at and where we should be. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. The title of our series is Knowledge, Revelation Knowledge Produces Faith. The title of the series is Revelation Knowledge Produces Faith. Our first lesson was an introductory lesson. Call it the introduction if we like. Our second lesson shall be entitled Knowledge of Our Redemption. Knowledge of Our Redemption. Knowledge, revelation knowledge in particular, produces faith. Faith comes with knowledge. Sometimes we hear folks praying and saying unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Well, actually, the type of prayer that the apostles were praying there was really wrong. He can't increase their faith. Faith is increased with knowledge. He just cannot zap faith into their spirits and say, here, here's more faith. I give it to you. See, it doesn't come that way. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we hear the Word of God, we receive knowledge of the plan, purpose, and will of God. When we receive that knowledge of the plan, purpose, and will of God, then faith automatically comes to our spirits. See, faith will come to our spirit when we receive knowledge. Well, there are certain things in God's Word that we need to know to obtain great faith or strong faith so that we can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, if we'll gain this certain type of knowledge, we will have gained a certain type of strong faith. So, you see, sometimes we want something, but just like many of us, we don't know how to go about getting it. And I believe that's why the teaching ministry is a vitally important ministry in the body of Christ. You know, the teaching ministry is of utmost importance, especially the anointed teaching ministry. Because, you see, God by His Spirit will endeavor to get across spiritual truths that will come over to your spirit like flashes of light. And things will happen inside your spirit. I've sat out in congregations and I heard one preacher say, by the unction of the Spirit, a truth from God's Holy Word. I've heard that truth many times. But sitting there, which is why I always take my notepad, pencil and paper with me, Sitting there, I heard or received a revelation of light, truth, a flash that came to my spirit, and I wrote that thing down. I, t- I didn't know a word he said for the rest of his sermon because I was too busy writing down line upon line and precept upon precept, here little and there little. And before I knew it, I had flashes of light. I had a whole sermon written out in a moment's time. See, that's how the Spirit of God moves, and that's how it works. And sometimes what we do is we turn him off and just, you know, think about all kinds of other things. That's why we've got to get the cobwebs out sometimes. You know, get them out. 
Leave the day behind us and just listen to what God's saying by His Spirit because He can give you a flash of light inside your spirit that will just cause things to happen inside you, cause knowledge of God's Word to come and faith to rise up with inside your heart. Well, this scripture right over here in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, we want to continue. We were discussing knowledge in our previous lesson Sunday morning. We're talking about certain kind of knowledge that we need to obtain so that we can have a strong, bold, vigorous, confident faith in our living God. And this is how we obtain it. Now, remember the one scripture we gave you last Sunday morning, and I will reiterate, in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, it said that my people are destroyed or they perish for the lack of knowledge. He did not say my people perish because the devil's so big. He didn't say that. He didn't say that my people perish because the world system is so large. You know, he didn't say that my people perish because we have an enemy out there arrayed against us who we cannot stand against. On the contrary, the Scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse right on 3 through 6 there, it tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God that are pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to avenge all disobedience or mishearing when our proper hearing is fulfilled. I want to reiterate that. What he was actually saying, and let me paraphrase it also, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 is what I quoted to you. And it, was, it means this. There are many of us that have heard the wrong message. They were guilty of mishearing. There were some individuals that were going around undermining the work of the Apostle Paul. They were going around teaching false doctrine. Paul said there are doctrines of devils even being going out among you even at this hour, at this time that I speak unto you. And what they were doing, they were just you know, giving a part of the truth. But they were mixing a whole lot of religious tradition with that truth and more or less disguising it within, causing them to have a mis conception of the truth. Now, the Apostle Paul said, Study to sow yourself to be approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing it. See, we must rightly divide. Not giving ourselves over to vain jangling, as some of us have. He says, but rightly dividing the word of truth. For an example, some of us have been taught that tongues were not for today. See, you may have been taught that half your life. Well, if you were taught that half your life, well, then you've got some wrong knowledge. And that knowledge that you received, that you poured down inside your spirit, that you've been hearing week after week, maybe two, three times a week, hearing it over and over and over and over and over, that knowledge was being developed inside your spirit. And because it was being developed inside your spirit, your spirit was not witnessing to you the fact, you see, you, it was seared that what you were hearing was wrong. Eventually, your spirit will start to agree with it. And the only way we can get ourselves out from under that type of teaching, and let me add something else. We may have heard along the line somewhere that sickness and disease was from God for a lesson to teach us or to mature us. And that's wrong teaching. That's just as blunt as I can put it. That's the wrong kind of teaching. See, there's no sickness and disease in heaven. It doesn't come from God. And God does not make His children sick for any reason. 
That is biblical, and I'll give you all the chapters and verses we need to show that. But if you sat under that kind of teaching and you heard that, then that would affect your human spirit in such a way that if you don't watch out, you may think that's the truth. And that's called deception. Presenting to be as truth that which is a lie and then feeding it in, in your spirit in such a way that you're bound. You're captive by what you've heard. And that's why in that Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3-6, through Paul was saying that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not anything in this physical realm, but they are mighty through God to pull down these strongholds of the adversary. These strongholds. How? Casting down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against or above the knowledge of God. See, we're talking about the knowledge of God. Revelation knowledge will produce faith. But deceptive knowledge will produce unbelief and doubt. So if I'm to teach you and to tell you God wants you sick for a specific reason, you can't have any faith to be healed. Because you don't know whether He wants you healed or not. You say, well, if. If is a badge of doubt. So if I don't know, then I can't believe. See, faith comes when knowledge comes. And without the knowledge of God's will, I can have no faith. If I'm up in the air about it, then I possess no faith. I'm more or less like James said, I am the double-minded man. I don't know which, I don't know whether he wants to heal me or not. I'm going back and forth, double-minded. You know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. So he went on to say, then, having in a readiness to deliver yourself from your mishearing. See, that word disobedience actually means, means misharkening. Over there in the sixth verse of the tenth chapter, Second Corinthians. It means mishearing or misharkening, having a readiness to avenge yourself, to deliver yourself from your mishearing. Mishearing. How? When your proper hearing or obedience is fulfilled. So when I start to hear the truth of God's Word, then that truth will penetrate my heart and I will teach my heart then once again that which is the truth and it, I can redevelop my spirit. I can take out the wrong teaching and put in the right teaching. It's a process. It's more difficult than just giving it to you, you know, right from the beginning. Here's an example, illustration. You have a child. That child has not been taught anything yet. You are the teacher of that child. You start to fill that child with information and flood that little spirit with the reality of the truth of God's Word. Well, you don't have to take anything out because nothing was put in. See? And so that spirit is sensitive, that spirit is fresh, that spirit is willing and ready to receive the truth in such a pure way. But if you were to let that child go to a place where that child was taught wrong, and let's say for five years sat under a wrong type of teaching, and for five years did not learn the right way, then if you took a hold of that same child, and you start to tell them, well, look, it's not this way, it's this way. You have a difficult time to get their spirit changed. See, to get them to believe the correct way or the right way. But all hope, is, you know, is not, it's not lost. Because we can deliver ourselves from this wrong thinking. We can deliver ourselves from this wrong believing if we'll now just yield unto the reality of God's Word, the truth of God's Word, and have proper hearing, you know, from God. Now, that's why I always suggest that in this verse of Scripture right here that Paul gave us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge. With the knowledge. This should be our prayer every day. 
okay? The knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding will never rise above what we believe. And we must believe that the Spirit of truth has been sent to guide us into all the truth. And the Spirit of truth will guide me into all the knowledge of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Not sense knowledge understanding, but spiritual revelation, understanding of the truth. Now that word there in the Greek, the word knowledge there, is the word epigonosko. E-P-I-G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Epigonosko. And in reality, that word means exact, full, complete, precise knowledge. Exact, full, complete, precise knowledge. And uh, it, it carries more or less a implication or it involves a certain type of participation in knowledge. For an example, over there where Jesus said in John chapter 8, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word there for know is gnosko. It implies just to know, to understand, to, to know the truth. But this here other word, it involves a union between the object and the subject. An actual union or a joining together. Well, look, here's another example. Let's say you walk into a hospital room and you see someone lying there and they're suffering from a certain pain in their body. Maybe they broke a bone or something like that. This is a hypothetical case. And, you know, you walk in and, and, and you know, say, well, how are you feeling? Of course, now let's pretend they're not saved, don't know the word, okay? <laughs> and uh, they say, well, I'm just in terrible pain. I just can't stand it. It's unbearable pain. And you say, well, I know how you feel. You do? You know how they feel? See, that's an expression. Well, I know how you feel. Well, I'll tell you what. If you fell down and broke your something, whatever it was that they broke, and you then were experiencing the same excruciating pain they're experiencing, then you can say, I know how you feel. See, it's a oneness. It's a uniting together, the object and the subject. Someone goes through a traumatic experience, such as a divorce or something like that. You know, and the first thing we want to do in the great council, well, I know how you feel. Yeah, there you are with your wife and having a ball and a beautiful time and just, you know, just doing your thing together and having a good time and just enjoying fellowship with her. And there's that poor brother, sister, whatever it is over there. And what, what you know, they're experiencing grief or a, a breach inside their spirit that has devastated them. See, we live in our own world. We live, you know, in our own world. You don't know what goes on inside me. I don't know what goes on inside you. I can't really identify with that pain or that suffering that that individual is going through in such a way that I can say, I know what you're going through. You see what I'm saying? But, if, that same experience happened to me, or if it did happen to me, and I literally experienced the same thing that they were experiencing, I came into oneness or in unity or uniting myself together with the same kind of pain that person had inside them, then I can truly say, Brother, I know. And there's a big difference. I know what you're going through. 
I have experienced what you're going through, and I know inside me just how you feel. That's what Paul's saying here. This is precise, exact, full knowledge. He's not just talking about writing it down on a piece of paper and saying, yes, I know that. He's not talking about that. You have entered in. You, do you know Jesus? Yeah. Are you born again? No. Then you don't know Jesus. You know of Jesus, but you don't know Him. See, knowing Him involves a union between the object and the subject. And that means I have entered into a union with, well, with what? This evening we want to talk about uniting ourselves together or, or gaining the knowledge of the reality of our redemption. Our redemption. Not just to know we've been redeemed, gnosko, but to know, epigonosko, to experience the reality of our complete and total deliverance from the hand of the enemy, to actually experience with Jesus his triumph and victory over the forces of darkness in such a way that we walk on his head with the heel of our feet, just as Jesus does sitting at the right hand of the Father. Do you see that? It's an entering into that kind of knowledge in such a way that we are united together with him in this knowledge so that we exercise the dominion that is rightfully ours over all the powers of the enemy, the powers of darkness, because we have come into oneness of this knowledge. It's experiencing it in reality. That is epigonosco. That is this union. Well, what will it do for us? Look at the next verse. That ye might walk worthy. Let's stop right there. We all want to walk worthy of the Lord. We all want to please the Lord unto all pleasing. We all want to be fruitful in every good work. Well, if we back up, we find a truth here. We thought walking worthy of the Lord was maybe doing something for somebody. We thought maybe walking worthy of the Lord was reading my Bible a little bit more, praying a little bit more. See, Pentecostals get religious also. It's the truth. I feel so much better. I read an hour today. Do your penance tomorrow. You'll feel better tomorrow too. <laughs> But you see, that's not, how, that's not how you feel better. Feeling better doesn't mean you're walking by feelings. But to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, to be fruitful in every good work. So that means walking worthy, pleasing the Father, and being fruitful in every good work. Then it says you'll increase the knowledge of God. But to do that, we have got to be filled with the knowledge of His will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That comes. When that knowledge comes, we'll walk worthy. See, when that knowledge, when we gain the exact, full, complete, precise knowledge of His will for our lives, of His will in the plan of redemption, when we enter into that, then we'll walk worthy of the Lord, we'll walk pleasing unto the Lord, we'll be fruitful in every good work, we'll then increase in the knowledge of God. Let me give you another scripture since we're close by concerning the difference between a partial knowing and a full, precise, exact knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just go back a little bit. 
And we've read this scripture, but not in this light. I believe we can see it from a different side. Verse 12. Now, in verse 12, here Paul says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know then when? When that which is perfect is come. Well, when's that? In the rapture. Well, what will happen then? Let's read the scripture first. Then shall I know even as I also am known. Now, what it's saying is this. When Jesus comes, then we'll actually, spirit, soul, and body, our body will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, we will enter into this glorious union in its fullness. And I will know as I am known. It's the completion of knowledge and entering into. And I have to say that the only way we can, I believe, accurately express what this type of knowledge really represents. In the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, you'll find, in I believe the fourth chapter, verse 1, that it says that Adam knew his wife Eve and she bare him a son. Now, you can say you knew your wife. When you started to date, you knew her. When you got engaged, you knew her. But when you get married and enter into the closest physical union or relationship that a man and woman can enter into, the Bible terms that as entering into an absolute intimate union with a complete knowing of that person. And that's exactly what he's saying here. We will completely enter in spirit, soul, and body into this complete union with Him. And we will know as we're known, we'll have absolute knowledge. Now, what He wants us to do in this life with a physical body is to so put His Word and plan into our spirit that we actually experience the same type of union. Now, listen. If you need healing, partial knowledge, head knowledge will not get you healed. Although you know that with His stripes, I am healed. But when you get a hold of that revelation inside your spirit and you come into a place of full or exact knowledge, this union, this uniting, here's what, here's what happens. You become united with that knowledge that with His stripes, I was healed. And at the moment we do, there is a union that takes place with that knowledge and then the result forth comes. There is something that takes place. The cause of that is you were healed. And the moment your body was free from that sickness or disease, that is a union. That is an entering into exact knowledge. See, that is experiential. It's not just something I am saying. I've actually experienced it now. So you see, you have had the complete union with that scripture, with that verse, or with that part of God's plan. When you made Christ your Savior, 
When Jesus actually came into your heart and recreated your spirit, you can say, I know Jesus. Because there's been a union that's taken place. Now, we can have knowledge, you know, that is mental knowledge, apart from an actual union of. And that's why many just don't dig deep enough or just continue to persist in God's Word enough so that the the knowledge that they have up here can be a reality down here and there can be a union. Your spirit, His spirit, the Word, a union, a result. There's always going to be a result. Mary, another example. Mary said, Be it unto me according unto thy word. She heard the word. She accepted the word. She believed the word. She received the word. At the moment she received the word, there was a union that took place. It caused something to happen inside her. She became one with that knowledge. And she conceived the Son of God. See, that's, that's what we're getting into. This is what we want to know. We don't just want to know we've been redeemed. We want experiential knowledge. We want a union with our redemption. Okay. Now, let's go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And notice that in the book of Colossians, he said that there would be an increase of this knowledge. When we begin to be filled with the knowledge or the full, complete, precise, exact knowledge of God's will, in all wisdom, comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, then we'll walk worthy of the Lord will be pleasing. I want, you to, I, want to, I want to get this to you again. I believe we need to hear this, all of us, myself included. We need to know we can't walk worthy of the Lord apart from exact knowledge. Think about that. We can't walk worthy of the Lord apart from this exact knowledge. Our walking worthy will be in harmony with the exact knowledge or this full knowledge being developed within us. See, that will cause us to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful, increasing in this exact knowledge. And this is what happens when this knowledge is increased. Look at verse 2 of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Then grace and peace is multiplied unto you. How? We said grace was God's ability to move on our behalf. Have you ever sat down in your room somewhere and says... Father God, you are so great, so mighty, so omnipotent, so powerful. You are, you've created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that are in the midst. And all I need is, is $5. I mean, uh, what's the big deal? Where are you? See, God's ability to move on our behalf is not based on that He created everything. Sure He did. His ability to heal us is not based on the fact that He created the whole world. It's based on a certain type of knowledge. He has already healed us. We must come into union with that knowledge. We must have an affair with that knowledge. You can try to tell somebody that, look, Jesus died for your sicknesses and diseases and all that stuff. If they never have an affair with that knowledge, a union with that knowledge... A coming together of that knowledge, he might as well talk to the wall. Because, you see, you know, they're not going to get it. But when someone realizes that the legal side of our redemption, that which Jesus has legally done for us, must be made vital by me being quickened according to God's Word 
and a union taking place of that word inside my spirit, a oneness taking place, then that word that says, with his stripes you're healed, legally becomes a vital reality in the individual's life. And when that happens, results will be forthcoming. That's what this is. See, it is not a more broad knowledge. It is a deeper, more personal, more intimate knowledge. How many of you could say that after the many years, well, I pray you can say this, you know your wife better, you know her better now than you did when you first dated her? Come on, guys. You never saw her with curlers in her hair when you was dating. Man, you picked her up for a date, she looked like Miss America. And you found out when she got up in the morning, she looked different. Huh? Now, after 42 years, give or take a few, how many of you know them a whole lot better now? See, you've entered into a, a oneness with that individual and you know them a whole lot better. That's the kind of knowledge we need to have. Look at the next verse. This will set you free. Disgrace and peace is multiplied unto us through the knowledge of God. That's the only way. God's willingness to move on our behalf and the peace of God that passes all understanding. Look at verse 3. According as His divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord, I hear somebody say. We've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Yeah, but look at the next part. Through what? Through the knowledge of Him. See? We've been given it. We've been given it, but it's obtained through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. And, you know, God is not going to suggest something that is unobtainable to us. If we can't have this kind of knowledge, it's awful silly for the Spirit of God to inspire Paul to pray that we have epikonosco knowledge. It's kind of ridiculous to he, him even intimate to you and me. We can have or enter into a, an exact knowledge of the plan of God for our lives. The plan of God in redemption. But you see, he didn't suggest something to us that was unattainable. He suggested something to us that was attainable. And the knowledge of it, listen to this, the knowledge of it causes us to enter into all things that pertain to life and godliness. See, we've not received the Spirit which is of this world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things. Everybody say the things. That have been freely given to us of God. Now, notice the things with this Scripture. According as His divine power hath given unto us, everybody say all things. So, you see, we have a perfect redemption, we have a perfect revelation, and we have a perfect teacher now. The Spirit of God is going to teach you and teach me. That which has been legally given unto me. I want you to know something. We got heaven's attention. I want you to know the earth is going to have to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. And so is the underworld. But what causes that to happen? It's the knowledge that we obtain. Full knowledge, exact knowledge, precise knowledge. And that will cause us to, to enjoy all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it comes from the knowledge of Him. That has called us to glory and virtue. Now, let's look at another scripture in Colossians. Go back to the book of Colossians in chapter 3. And verse 10.
How many of you know that the inward man, the recreated spirit, the new creation, the man on the inside, the hidden man of the heart, Paul called it the inward man. Peter called it the hidden man of the heart. That hidden man of the heart is renewed day by day. How many of you know that? Look at the Scripture in Colossians chapter 3. How is it renewed day by day? I've always been one to, to know, want to know how. Well, in verse 10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in what? Did you ever read there in, in 2 Peter chapter 2 also, in, in about the fourth verse where it says, fourth or fifth verse, where it says, And besides all this, add to your faith knowledge. This is what he's talking about. Add to your faith knowledge. You know why? Knowledge produces faith. And add to your faith knowledge, which produces faith. Add to your faith knowledge, which produces faith. That's how faith comes, by hearing God's Word. So here it says that this inner man, this new man, is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. Well, I didn't create Him. You didn't create your spirit. I didn't create your spirit or my spirit. But God created our spirit after His. And the knowledge of this inner man, the knowledge of the Spirit of God, no man know it, but God know it by His Spirit. And that which we have received of Him, the life and nature of God that is represented inside our human spirit, it's renewed in this knowledge. But if I don't have the knowledge of, of what's inside my spirit, if I don't have the revelation, the epigenosco, the full knowledge or the precise understanding of knowledge of spiritual things that's inside me, then my faith will be bound by my limited knowledge. And with limited knowledge, my inner man is not going to be renewed day by day in the sense it's going to grow and develop. It's just going to stay the same. It does not grow just by praying. The Bible says, Speak the truth and love may grow up in him in all things. The truth is the, the Word of God. Alright? So here we see that this inward man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Well, what is that image? You'll find out that that image, in reality, is righteousness. You ever read there in, in Ephesians and that it tells us that this inner man of ours was recreated after God in righteousness? Well, we're made in the likeness and image of God. Adam was, but it wasn't the righteous, righteousness in the sense that, that we, the righteousness of God, we possess. He stood before God with, without a sense of guilt and fear or sin consciousness. He was righteous before God. But we have actually been made partakers of the very nature of God Himself. And because of that, we're the righteousness of who? God in Christ. And that's what this inner man of ours has been patterned after or made from. That image of God, he reached down here and says, I'm going, to I'm going to recreate that spirit like mine. We've been recreated in his image. And that image is righteousness. And we'll see that here in a minute. Go back to, well, look at, um, go back to the book of Romans, what I'm saying is. Chapter 1. Now, God's will for our lives is not only that we be saved. Did you ever read there in 1 Timothy where it says, God who is, not will, who is willing that all should be saved. Over there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe, somewhere around verse 4. God who is willing that all men be saved and... See, sometimes we leave out some of these 
golden nuggets, but and not just be saved. God's not willing that any perish. He wants all men to be saved. And and what, Brother Paul? And come to the knowledge of the truth. Some are satisfied with just being saved. Then they hear the wrong word and they never come to the knowledge of the truth. So they never grow and develop up in spiritual things. They never speak the truth in love to grow up in Him. Their mishearing has kept their spirit bound or captive. So they go on through their days, their Christian days and Christian experience, never gaining any more knowledge than what they had when their first creed came into being. I mean, not only are the denominational churches and the Pentecostalism is the same way. You know, we don't want to break off from our standard teaching. If there's anything that seems to be a little bit different, look out, my Lord. You know, they think you're coming, they think you're a heretic. Because you find the truth in the Word that's been hidden. You know, there are things that I believe personally that there are many of those, our leaders of old, did not understand the full revelation. I firmly believe that. I know about you, but when the Protestant movement was, you know, broke off from the Catholic Church, I'll tell you something right now. You go back and find out what they believe. I thank God for what they knew, but we know know more today. (gasps) How dare you? Well, I mean, wouldn't you say we're advancing in knowledge in the medical field? Haven't they found more discoveries? And, 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 and wouldn't you say that in the, in the uh, field of, of science, in the, in the field of aviation, in the field of any field we want to talk, talk about, especially in the last 20, 30 years, we have advanced. We put men on the moon. And we're going further. Oh, it's okay to advance in this kind of knowledge. But we've been so settled as, as believers. Well, I've had a little bit of the truth and I read the Bible one time. I mean, how could I possibly read it again? Why would I? I read it one time. Someone told me that. And I said, and you know it all. Yes, I read it one all from Genesis to the end. I wish I'd have known that. I never would have tried to share anything with you had I known that. I mean, can you imagine the first guy that tried to fly, if he tried to fly one time, flat on his face? <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what. If he'd have stopped right there, we'd have been in a mess, huh? Sure. But we have to but See, God by His Spirit is revealing things unto His children today. The church came through the dark age means they knew nothing about God's holy word. But today we're receiving revelation by the Spirit of God that sure they knew what... It's not new in the sense that it's, it's something that is added. No, not something added to God's word. Something that the early church walked in something called the power of God that they demonstrated and displayed in raising up the dead and healing the sick and setting the captives free, just like Jesus did, something that was lost to the dark ages that has been restored once back to the church. And we in this generation, we see it, we know it, we understand it, we perceive it, and will not settle for anything less than the powerful move of God like they experienced back then and then even supersede that, bless God. That's what we're talking about. Same truth, same God. He didn't change, man changed. We moved from Him, He didn't move from us our knowledge. But it's being advanced in this day and hour and age because we are diligently seeking Him as He would have us to do, to diligently seek Him. Well, in the first chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, I want you to see something here. We need to have a source of knowledge. Where are we going to obtain this knowledge that's going to give to us the reality of our redemption? Where will we find this knowledge? It has to be in, 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 in the Bible, surely somewhere. But let's look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, now, there's, a, there's a Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Christ. Did you ever read that? 
Don't look at me like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Christ. The Gospel of Christ. Didn't Christ write a Gospel? Oh, I beg your pardon. See, I think sometimes we've neglected the epistles. We've left them out not realizing that that the epistles is truly the Gospel of Christ. No, it's not Mark's account, not Luke's, not John's, not Matthew's. Paul said, I wrote according to my Gospel. Yeah, Paul wrote a Gospel. And the Gospel, Paul said, that was given to me. How many people say, let's go back to the cross. Let's go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do you want to go back there for? Jesus died back there. Well, is He dead or is He alive? Paul said, I have been given a gospel. I believe this gospel has been neglected. In the modern day church today, the gospel that was truly given to the Apostle Paul by the Spirit of God, by revelation, has been lost. It's been hidden in creeds and doctrines. It's been hidden somewhere through the dark ages under mental ascent. It's been hidden and we've not exposed it like it should have been exposed. This is the teaching we need to develop the strongest, most powerful faith we can possibly develop in our Christian experience. And it says right here, Paul did, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein... For there in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. Revealed. Circle that word. Or underline it, whatever you prefer to do. But the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel of Christ that was given to Paul. See, it's not revealed. You won't find this revealed in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't see that side of it. Without the epistles, we have a dead Christ. But everything points to the resurrected Christ and what He did in His great substitutionary work. And that's why we have got to be advanced in this kind of knowledge, the knowledge that was revealed to Him of Christ, not that was seen with the eye, the physical eye. Because... Peter, James, and John, they saw Jesus with the physical eye, but they don't know what He did in His great substitutionary work. I'll show that to you in the Scriptures. But anyhow, look at this. The righteousness of God is revealed in the, in the gospel of Christ according to Paul. Now, let me show you something. That, that Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24 that I quoted to you a minute ago. Ephesians 4, 24. Well, back up to verse 22. We'll read the whole thing in context that you put off concerning the former lifestyle or conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How, Brother Paul? Well, and that you put on the new man which after God. Everybody say after God. Say it again. After God is created or recreated in righteousness and true holiness. Now, think about that. Think about that. You know, you ever see these... Don't, please, no rocks if you have one. But, have you ever seen these bumper stickers that say, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven? What? 
Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, nice to meet you, Mr. Sinner. Wait a minute. Let's correct some of this theology. You were a sinner. You have been saved by grace. You have now been made the righteousness of God in Christ. You were created after God in righteousness and true holiness. You are His workmanship created in Christ. We are His workmanship. To say, I am still a sinner that was saved by grace, is to say God does poor workmanship. And that's not true. No, we were sinners. We've been saved by grace. And because we've been saved by grace, we have been made in the plan of God, in the redemptive work of Christ, the righteousness of God, created after His righteousness. Well, when we study the, the reality of our righteousness, we're going to see the depth of that. The statement in itself, you know, it should thrill us, but I mean, there's so much more depth to that statement. But we see here that as the, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, the reason why he's revealing, why is he revealing the righteousness of God? So we could know how righteous God is? No. How many of you know how righteous God is? You can't get any more righteous than God is. No. But the righteousness of God has been revealed to you and to me because we have been created in his righteousness and true holiness. And when we know that and renew ourselves in our spirit and in our mind to that, then we will begin to walk as the righteousness of God in Christ. That's why it was revealed to you and me. Renew ourselves in this knowledge. Renew ourselves. It was revealed to us, you see, to you and to me, so that we would know who we are. Well, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at that. Let's find out what the gospel really is that he's talking about. You know, let Paul, let Paul. Someone said the Bible's so hard. Well, let Paul answer his own question. Let Paul explain what he means. What is this gospel of Christ? It's not Matthew, it's not Mark, it's not Luke, it's not John. It's the gospel of Christ given to Paul. What is this gospel? Well, here it is. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But I declare unto you, there are so many, beloved, that are living under Matthew, Mark. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not important for us to read and to know and to understand. Every book of God's Word is important in the Bible. I'm saying we have neglected all that that was given to us for. All that Jesus did in his earth walk was leading him to Calvary. He fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. He fulfilled the Mosaic Sinaitic law. He, he, he fulfilled everything. And on that cross, a new gospel was given to you and me. And this is it. This gospel which I preach unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. This man had to receive this gospel. Peter didn't. James didn't. John didn't. This man received the gospel. This gospel that says... How that Christ 
died for our sins. They didn't know that. Peter didn't know that. He didn't know that, did he, Brother Sam? Amen. If he knew that, he wouldn't have been crying. John didn't know that. James didn't know that. His disciples didn't know that. So you see, they didn't understand that. They saw their Savior die. Well, they saw their Master die. But they didn't know He was dying for their sins. But here, the Apostle Paul was told by Jesus Himself, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this presence, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the, the apostles that am not meet to be called apostle because I persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So now the apostle, who at this time was Saul, but the apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus, Saul, King Paul, he, re he saw Jesus, Jesus appeared to him, and he said some things to him, and he was going to give to this man the gospel, the true gospel, the real gospel, the gospel that Paul said where the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith to faith, the gospel by which we live. And it starts with Christ died for our sins. That starts the gospel. Christ died. See, the old covenant ended on the cross. And the new covenant begins when Jesus was made sin. And that starts the gospel. He died for our sins. He was made to be sin for us. That is a revelation that came to the Apostle Paul. And we'll see that how, how, how it was given to him. As a matter of fact, go to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11, please. Galatians 1 verse 11. This gospel of which we speak is our source of knowledge. The knowledge that we need. There are so many that are caught up in the book of Revelation. There are so many that are caught up in the Old Testament. And one's living out there and one's living in the future. One's living in the past. No one seems to want to live in the present, in the now, by knowing what is legally ours now through the redemptive work of Christ. Now, notice here in Galatians chapter 1.11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me... See, this is the gospel that was preached of me, Paul. He's saying, now notice this, is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul did not receive this gospel by any of the other apostles. Paul received this by direct revelation. By direct revelation of Jesus. Alright, let's take a look. I told you before, to take that word revelation in, in, um, or revealed back there, there is the gospel, there is the rights of God is revealed from faith to faith. Look at that. You got that word there. Write down the word revelation. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you two definitions. It's important. He says this was given by revelation. 
Revelation means the act of revealing or communicating divine truth by divine agency. The act of revealing or communicating divine truth by divine agency. And the word revealed, therein is the righteousness of God revealed, means to make known, to declare, to disclose, to make visible, to expose, to view. All right. So therein, in the gospel that Paul is preaching, God is revealing, disclosing, making known, declaring to you and me the righteousness of God. In the gospel, we have divine truth being communicated to us by the person of the Apostle Paul, the instrument which God chose being revealed to us or being communicated to us by a divine agent. See, the revelation faith that we attain or we have or obtain through this knowledge comes because the revelation or the truth that's being revealed to you and me is not of our sense knowledge. It is not of, of our reasoning faculties. It is a divine message of truth that has been imparted to us or communicated to us through a divine agent. And that agent was the Apostle Paul. Well, now, why did he do that? Well, let's read on. For you have heard of my conversation or lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited it or profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of uh, the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal, to disclose, to make known, to divulge His Son in me. Now, hold on. I thought Peter, James, and John, Matthew, Mark, and I thought all of them knew Jesus. No. They knew Him physically. They knew Him as the carpenter's son. They saw the miracles that He did, but they had a physical sense knowledge view of the Master, the Son of God. But no one really knows the Son no one really knew the Son. The Son wasn't really revealed, made known, declared, or brought you know, in, out to where He could be visible or visibly seen to anyone. But the Apostle Paul received this revelation or this truth, and he, it's, it's his responsibility to communicate that truth to us. He brought Him out to where His Son could clearly be seen. They didn't know what took place on that cross. They stood there dumbfounded. They thought they lost their king, their leader. Even in, uh, before he was ascended on high, they said, Oh, now, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? They knew nothing. But then he goes on to say, It's the fa Father wanted to reveal Jesus, the true Son of God, Jesus, the, the, the real Son, and what He really did in redemption. He wants to reveal what really has taken place. And I'm going to preach that gospel to you. What happened when He became sin on that cross? What happened 
from the three days and three nights he spent beneath the earth. What really took place when he ascended on high and he was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high? What took place? All that really entails the gospel. That's the gospel. That's what it really is. And he goes on to say, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Glory to God, Paul, I followed you. When I got saved, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. Now wait a minute. In a space or a span of seventeen years, Paul only saw Peter for a period of three of fifteen days. We don't know how long he was in Arabia, it doesn't say, but he went to Damascus after three years. We, we know that, that he went to Jerusalem rather after three years from Damascus. And then if you read right on through, in chapter 2, verse 1 says, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem and saw Barnabas and took Titus with me also. But in that space of at least 17 years, he only had talked with Peter for, for 15 days. That's all he talked or communicated with Peter. But he saw James along the way. But that's all. Other than that, he saw none of the other disciples. He knew, they, they didn't even know him by face. Some knew him uh, just by name. But now here's the point. All those years, he's out preaching this gospel. He comes to Peter. You think he's coming to ask Peter a question? Uh-uh. No. No. It was the other way around. Peter said in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, he said, Paul writes in all his epistles some things that are hard to understand. And if you want to know some of this stuff, you've got to find Paul. I'm sure that Paul came down to give the revelation to Peter. I know it. Because Peter didn't have all that revelation. But bless God, after Paul talked to him, Peter had some insight. He had some revelation. Did you ever read that? Don't look at me like that. Second Peter chapter 3, look at it real quick. We got a minute? Two minutes. Glory to God. What can we do in two minutes? Oh, bless the Lord. We're just getting started here. My goodness. We're going to have a series throughout the rest of the year. But we're just going to teach God's Word. Just teach, 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 teach. Glory be to God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. <clears throat> and account that the long-suffering of the Lord is, is, is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given to him, hath written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned in unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Paul, Peter said, Lord, Paul writes some things that's hard to get a hold of, hard to grasp. See? He saw Peter, not so that Peter could teach him, but he had a revelation of spiritual things that happened, you know, to Jesus. And we didn't make it to the knowledge of our redemption yet. I guess this is introduction number two. Because, do I have a, one more second? One more scripture. And we'll close it. This is our scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 This is the first phase of the Pauline revelation. This is phase number one. Phase number one. It begins with 2 Corinthians 5.21 and it ends in Hebrews 1.3. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made him to be sin. Everybody say, 
for us. The first phase in our redemption is what God has done for us through the great substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. For us. He made Him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. Why? That we would be made the righteousness of God in Him. So, phase one is for us. Hebrews 1.3 says, After He purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. And that means the beginning starts with Him being made sin. The end start, ends when He was exalted to the Father's right hand, King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen. I guess that's the end, isn't it? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.